The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are my own or those of my guests, and in no way represent the views of the company or companies that I or we work for. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they are told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast dedicated to the journey and the challenges surrounding the life and career of Aviator Tony, his co-hosts, and his guests. Together, we will explore the many pathways to an aviation profession, the realities of what a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony an airline pilot currently flying for a legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. This is episode 38 of Squawk Ident, recorded on the 21st of April, 2020, from the Aviator Sound Studios somewhere in Southern California. On this episode of Squawk Ident, I am excited to be joined by my Squawk Ident crew and co-hosts, Captain Roger and Rob D., We've been talking about and reading your feedback, and I must say, we agree with those of you that have reached out to us. All of us are being bombarded in our daily lives with the news and stories and speculations surrounding this virus. Admittingly, even our last few shows have been no exception to that fact. We've been listening to your feedback and have been talking about getting back to what we do best here at Squawk Ident, and that is discussing the journeys in aviation. Today we will discuss our recent flight schedules, or lack thereof, and we talk about how long we can get our beards to grow before we need to shave them off before we need to go flying again. We also dive into a segment called Remember When, where we explore some of the lessons that we picked up in our general aviation flight training all those years ago, and how those early moments have shaped how we as aviators operate today. So whether you're working from home in your respective solitude, binge-watching some totally obscure shows, or out there in public doing your essential part, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show, right after a brief word from our sponsors. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. It has been a while since the last show, and today we're going to start off by finding out what the crew has been up to since episode 37. But before we get into that, I would like to start off by taking a moment to recognize all the frontline people out there, the medical professionals that continue to sacrifice their personal safety and well-being in order to care for us without hesitation or a second thought. From the doctors and nurses to the EMTs and the firefighters, law enforcement officers and grocery store workers, to the hospitality employees, transportation workers, and all the other essential workers out there, from the Squawk Ident family to yours, thank you for all that you do. And let's get started. Joining us on the show today is a co-host here on Squawk Ident and currently a DFW-based 737 pilot 
for Legacy Airlines, the name we use here on Squawk Ident as an alias to our employer. From his fortress of isolation in Flower Mound, Texas, he is a former international and professional racquetball champion, a member of the 9G Club, an AMP and avionics tech, an RC aircraft commander, and a pickleball master. Help me in welcoming back to the show, Mr. Rob D. Rob, how are you? What's up, Tony? I'm doing really good. How you doing? Good to hear you. Good to see your face again. Thanks, man. Thank you. Uh, you know, it's been pretty good. It's been a lot of work at home. Been uh, doing a lot of yard work and whatnot, as I saw that uh, you were doing as well, cleaning some gutters out there, have you? Yeah, I've been doing a lot of stuff around the house. Uh, a lot of things that have been uh, on the honeydew list for a while. And you know, one of those things where you say, oh, I'll get to it when I get when I have time. And oh, my God, do I have time. So I've been doing a lot of stuff. So um, breaking my back and getting a good workout, getting up on the on the uh, ladder and cleaning out the gutters and putting in some leaf guards in there. So the uh, leaves will go in there. And um, yeah, it's just been nonstop since uh, since I got back from work. Yeah. And the last trip you flew was actually the trip you were on on the last show, was it not? That's right. Yeah. The last show, um, I think it was episode 37. I was in New Orleans or New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I flew one flight back the next day. And that was the last flight I've, I've done since uh, this episode. And so I've been off. And coincidentally, I have, I have a vacation now too. So um, went into about what 10 days off and then just started my vacation the other day so wow so you really uh, I don't do even know time. what day it is yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't i have a lot of time i don't know what day it is i hardly know what time it is so <laughs> well, but that's not very unusual is it though for us <laughs> <laughs> i i set an alarm for when i have to report in you know at the end of the month so at least when that thing goes off at least i know i i got to shave and get the work yeah well, also joining us today is another exceptional aviator and co-host here on squawk ident he joins us from his bat cave somewhere in san diego california he is a professional cfi double i mei flight instructor a former embraer 145 airline pilot a king air instructor and a captain for a corporate operator as well. He has type ratings in the Embraer 145, the Lear 60, the Falcon 50, 2000, and 7X. Please help me in welcoming back to the show, Captain Roger. Captain, how are you? I'm doing all right, Tony. How are you? I'm doing good. So Good to hear. You were on a trip. You were ferrying an airplane around, getting the interior done. Was that completed? Uh, no, they were told us it was going to be at least two weeks. In, in this case, you know, time is not really of the essence. So they'll probably get it done. Just it, it kind of actually makes more sense for us. Even if they did finish it, we probably won't go out there for another few weeks just because the way that we, we do the engines, we try and run the engines every three to four weeks as it is. And so even if it was done, we'd probably just leave it out there in, in order to, to accomplish the engine run procedures, if nothing else. So we're just kind of sitting here on standby. Um, I did I did talk to the other guy, and it does look like probably in middle of May or so, uh, things could start picking back up. So we're all kind of looking forward to that. Oh, excellent. Very good. Well, here I am. Uh, I have not flown at all. My entire month, as we've mentioned before, got canceled due to this whole reduction of flying that's happening because of 
the current situation that the world is in. And I've been at home my entire month. I was originally planning on flying a trip, uh, which included a, a red eye to Miami, a short layover in Miami, and then uh, one leg back uh, on the 30th. But that disappeared as well. And so I've been home and it's kind of a really a blessing because I have not really had to worry about, you know, being out there in the public and wearing a mask. And, you know, we've been having a lot of family time and a lot of yard work. As a matter of fact, we thought this year we would only plant a small garden and it's turned out about a thousand square feet in my backyard, which is the bulk of it, has now become a monstrous garden. Uh, we've now started to till areas of uh, land around the house, on the side of the house, in front of the house, and slowly we're starting to plant, you know, fruits and vegetables and and all kinds of garden accoutrement of vegetables and and whatnot everywhere we can find space because we figure, hey, if we can grow our own, why do we need to go to the grocery store every week or so? We can probably you know, it might take a month or so to germinate, but. You know, we're already starting to see the kale and the bok choy and the chard and the lettuce and the carrots and tomatoes all start to to sprout. So it's been exciting, to say the least. That's awesome, man. And what about uh, what about with you? What, what have you guys been up to? Well, it's kind of been a little bit of the same for us. You know, I I just live in a in a condo complex, so I don't have the yard work that you guys have. Um, you know, you got your thousand square foot yard, and I have a I have a, I have a thousand square foot condo. <laughs> I did, um, we did actually also put a, an above burnt ground planter in just a few days ago and we put a, a couple tomato plants, so we might put something else in. So that was the extent of the outdoor work. I did also mount my rear speakers in the, uh, in the family room a few days ago. Also got onto the, uh, how long have you been putting that off? We probably shouldn't <laughs> report on that, on that aspect. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's it was about a year ago. I actually i i broke down and I got a a, um, a surround sound set up, and they and they're just bookshelf speakers for the for the rear speakers, and they've just been sitting on a couple bookshelves. But I wanted to free up the room, and this now it seemed like as good a time as any. I've I've really been saving them for a good time like this. So actually, I feel like I've, I'm accomplished. I did what I wanted. I I occupied some of my time, a whole thirty minutes, drilling some holes, finding some studs, drilling some holes, and now I have some. You know, the speakers look a little bit bigger now that they're mounted on the wall, which I think is kind of awesome. Now, what other people think of it, I'm not really sure, but um, I did get them. I did get them mounted. And I'm feeling pretty good about myself now. So you mounted these the things my last week. Did you watch a like, surround sound film right after you mounted them? You know, that's that's the more the, the unfortunate. Let's just go with the unfortunate thing about <laughs> having two small kids in the house. The, like the two small kids in the house, like you can't really watch anything exciting during the day because like I say, I'm in a condo. It's not like I have the theater room or anything. Yeah. And so the kids are always around. And then what happens at night is they go to bed and it's not like I can, you know, shake the neighbors out, which I don't really care so much about, but I, because I've still got the kids upstairs <laughs> yeah. and if they don't sleep, then my day, the next day is going to be terrible. Yeah. So unfortunately, while I, you know, the sound is, is nice. I, I am not able to get the full value or the full appreciation out of the setup because of two small children. Yeah. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I hear you. I've, I've got a, a movie theater above this uh, garage here, full surround sound subwoofer. I uh, got a 65 uh, inch screen 
and man, I rattled the walls off this house. With I that bet thing. you the neighbors love so that. I couldn't imagine living in an apartment complex and having that thing, you know, above, below, or beside. <laughs> oh, in in my next fun. life, in my in my future dreams, I have I have plans to be able to make this a reality where a I don't have anybody around me for you know a couple acres and my own room, and I'm gonna shake the whole thing out. I mean, I I went, I didn't go you know full blast, but I, I got a I got a bunch of clips speakers and. Yeah, you know, are, yeah. we clip horns. Two fo- yeah. They're two floor stand. I got two floor standings for the front ones. I mean, I was. Are they, are they the RF speakers? Or are they just regular, uh, just stand, standard? RF they're the reference premiere. Yeah, RF ones. Yeah, those are sweet. Yeah. I, I used to sell those a long time ago, prior oh, really? to flight instructing days and everything. Yeah. Remember, remember in Phoenix, uh, Ultimate Electronics. Yeah. Were you there? Yeah. yeah I I well, we talked about that, that too. place. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of yeah, like so a those, Circuit were, City kind of esque. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, now we're going back Circuit City. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> we're going right. back today. <laughs> yeah. And clips were like my favorite speakers yeah. back then, man, and they still are. I I love those things. I wish. Yeah, I, I think they're a good a good brand name speaker, and and so I didn't go top of the line. I think there's I think there's a a, a higher end, but I I didn't get the bottom of the barrel either. I was like, yeah. if I'm gonna do this, man, I'm gonna try and do this at least some. Yeah. Right. Anything in the so, reference um, series is, yeah, it, it there's uh, there's one level better, but I mean that's right. That's awesome, right there. Yeah, man. I'm not that so much I mean, of a an audio file or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah I, <laughs> like I didn't cut my speaker wire exactly the same lengths either. Because oh, of oh, okay. I mean that seems we're, a we're little gonna talk. bit. That's a uh, little, uh, you're gonna have some draw there. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> there there is but i don't think that the roughly 12 inch difference that's like at least point zero zero one milliseconds right there you know or something at least you, <laughs> at least you didn't use the radio shack speaker wire or did you no I'm i did not kidding. i actually and that's that's my next project i actually got um what is it it's um insulated wire so that you can put it inside walls yeah, now, which yeah, I yeah. have not done, I have not done, of course, yet. But if anyone wants to volunteer, I have. I don't know. I probably have a hundred thousand dollars worth of remodeling down. If anyone wants to volunteer, and, I got know, a sledgehammer. Run I'll come over. I'll help you out with the, uh, the demo but, day. See, I'm the good. sledgehammer is not the problem. The problem is <laughs> putting the drywall back up and finishing it. That's where the problem. Is. Uh, well, yeah. you let me know. I got the texture gun and all the tools for that. So. <laughs> Yeah. I'm good at demo. That's about it. That's that's where I draw the line. I'm really good at knocking stuff down. Putting things back up. Yeah. Between you know, the three of us in 24 catchy. hours, you could have nothing but studs, buddy. Absolutely. Come on down. Airline tickets are cheap. I'll buy you guys tickets down here. Yeah. Come on down. Yep. We, we can non-rev now. The seats are you, wide you open. You can. I hear that the flights are open. Go figure. Just join another deadheading crew Go on figure. the plane. Well, you know, you guys remind me of an email I read just this morning. Rob, I don't know if you've seen this over on our Legacy Airlines app that we have. We got a a message this morning indicating that revenue flights as of uh, April 17th at Legacy Airlines, we will now be authorized to position an aircraft under a revenue flight number without having flight attendants on board. Revenue cargo, mail, and bags are also authorized, but cannot be carried in the passenger cabin. And the dispatcher will add a note to the flight plan, which uh, remarks that uh, indicate that the flight is going to be operated under Part 121 with no flight attendants on board, and only company-employed deadheading crew members on the NS list 
or flight deck authorized personnel such as uh, CAS or FDJ, FAA, or, or or other Leos can be in the in the cockpit jump seat. And those are the only ones that will be authorized to travel. So if you're non-revving, you're a company employee non-revving trying to get to work you technically can't be on that flight because you either have to be in the cockpit jump seat if it's available. And if it's not available, you're not on the NS, which is the right. list of, of people that are operating on that flight, deadheading crew members and working crew members. So non-revving might be a challenge if you're on listed on a 121 flight, a part 121 flight, yeah. with a flight number. I wonder how, no I wonder if they didn't really, they really didn't address that in the, in the email, but I wonder if that even shows up on JetNet you know, as a selectable flight, you know, cause, uh, yeah. some of the other, uh, extra segments flights show up on, on JetNet. Um, they may not be clickable, but you know, uh, a clickable yeah. to select and, and add, you know, like a 9,800 flight or something like that. Right. I've seen them on there, but anyway, yeah, that's on, interesting, on our, right? on our portal. Yeah. I believe they do show up. And I think you might have to go into res or whatever they call that um, system to get all the flights that even the extra flights and the ferry flights and whatnot. So if it's not a, a part, if it's a part 91 flight, it won't show up in JetNet. It has, and it has right. to be scheduled. Right. If it's a non-scheduled flight, right. that also will not show up in your travel planner. So if you're trying to commute, you're you know, non-revving wherever you're going, or you're planning on going somewhere as a non-rev passenger, uh, a lot of times the only thing that you have access to on our company's website is the scheduled DOT scheduled flights. And if there's a cancellation and then they add a, a flight that is a, like say a, an extra flight or a charter flight because of cancellations or weather that won't show up. You have to go through some of the other portals that we have uh, that we have access to yeah. at least. Um, yeah. And also brings up some other uh, good news, uh, like kind of like we talked about in episode 37 and a couple other ones that, we're doing a lot of cargo stuff. We're a lot of cargo flights, cargo, cargo, and uh, um, I forgot what else they put mail. So you know the planes are moving around without passengers, but below the deck, below in the cargo compartments, they're full of mail and and stuff yeah. <laughs> that's going around the country. Yeah, for sure. So I see that. Uh... Both you gentlemen have a little bit of a shadow going on. How long are your beards getting now? What's going on there? The challenge has been accepted. I was telling uh, Julie that I should put on a mask, one of those N95s, shave completely around it. Now that we're required to wear the mask at work at all times, and as a matter of fact, the the LA World Airport's organization that governs all of the airports in Southern California has uh, put up a new restriction that any airport employee passing through Los Angeles must don a mask at all times while on property. So like you can't take it off for any reason. So it's a requirement now. They won't, they'll cite you or whatnot uh, as an employee. Um, so I was thinking, hey, just shave on the outside of the mask, leave the beard on the inside. Who would know, right? Yeah, that's, that's, I, I don't know what to say, man. That's just, that's where we're headed. You know what I mean? But yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah, I'll have a full on Fu Manchu pretty soon. Oh man, if this, if this goes on for much longer, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep gonna it together. I'm going to start looking like Chewbacca here pretty soon. Be like, Chewie, what's going oh, on? Crap. Oh. <laughs> 
Yeah. I, I tried that for about two weeks. Yeah. And about two weeks ago, I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. I had not shaved for, for a couple of weeks and I just decided, you know, I, I'm not going to do that anymore. I didn't really like it, to be honest with you. It was, it was kind of getting annoying. And I was like, was okay, pain, I'm yeah. not going to, I'm not going. Yeah. And so I actually I've adopted personal choice every three days. I'm going to go ahead and shave because it's just, otherwise it gets uncomfortable. And so you got to either make the choice, whether, whether you're going to, whether you're going to do it or not do it. And I just, anyway, I'm going to, I got to probably shave in the next, either tonight or tomorrow, or tomorrow morning before I, before it starts bugging me again, because yeah, it was, um, it was, it was pretty impressive there after a couple of weeks. That was definitely the longest I'd ever gone without shaving. Well, you know, the trick Roger yeah. is you got to use a lot of conditioner. Is that what the trick is? That's the trick. That's right. You got, you got a shampoo I've and you never got gotten far enough where, where I actually knew that that was where, where you actually had to, had to groom it. I, Oh yeah, you got a condition. I mean, otherwise it's just oh, itches. And it's There's all, the oh. whole product line. Well, that was my problem. Just for beards, you can go yeah. out and get yeah, all Lord. this stuff just for beards. You know, it's it's amazing the the market that's out there for that kind of stuff. Oh, for sure, especially now with all these. Uh, what do you call these? What do you call these young men? Uh, not beaten. What are they called? Or something. <laughs> No, these uh, these new generation of uh, hipsters. That's what it is. You know, <laughs> the hipster. They've got that's so much product, call. you know, and they're oh, I have some. Yeah, scruff they gotta stuff. stay away from a hot a heat source, man. They'll go up like that. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll I'll shave it before my next trip, which surprisingly I did get in my April schedule, and it is much different than what I'm used to. Rob, uh, you were telling me a little bit about yours. What what's going on with these flight schedules? Yeah, they're they're definitely um, not the same. As we uh, we're accustomed to, I normally hold a a, a fairly I'm, I'm fairly junior, so I, I hold a line, and usually it's full of uh, three and four day trips. Um, and this month I got a hybrid line, which is a combination of reserve and um, regular line flying. For the people that are wondering what it, what a hybrid line is, um, and and then scattered throughout the month, I, I I'm on actually on reserve. For the company so um but the the flights the the schedule that i have i'm, I'm only doing weekend two-day trips i have one three-day trip in there but the rest of the month is all two-day trips you actually had so a three-day trip in your bid packet i have one three-day trip in my bit that i've been awarded wow. in my bid pack and I, and I actually tried to bid for it so i think that's why it gave me that um that trip but I, I i try to bid for like two-day trips and then three-day trips so on and so forth so yeah. uh but so you prefer the you know, two-day trips guy, yeah two-day trips are great mm. I, yeah, I like having like yeah the three three legs first day and then the one leg home on the last day and try to get home early and you know try to be gone less than 24 hours and get you know your 10 to 15 hours of flying in so yeah the benefits of living in base right there yeah, yeah. And Roger, yeah. when you were at ExpressJet, did they have the PBS system back then? No, nope. Uh, you were doing um, the hard line bidding. It, we were line bidding um, all the way through when I had left, and I don't actually. I know that there were plans to implement PBS at some point, but that was. I, um, there was a whole lot of stuff going on, which is kind of what led to me leaving, and that was just one of them along with a whole slew of other things, but, um, I'm not actually sure. I mean, ExpressJet, as I understand it is a, 
I mean, completely different company than it was uh, when I left. I'm was surprised that six years ago is now. still around. You know what I mean? Well, I am too. I, I'm not even sure who, I mean, ExpressJet merged with ASA, who was owned by SkyWest. Does SkyWest even own ExpressJet anymore? Do you guys yeah, know? I don't think so. I, I don't I, think I'm not 100% either. sure about that, but I don't think they do. I think that's something that changed uh, maybe within the last year or so, or maybe even a year and a half. Because, uh, yeah, I, um, I do remember them being owned by SkyWest, but at some point, I think, uh, Sky West and Express Jet split off again. So I think I, Sky I West know. just kind of just they, you know, they had they had had enough. But that was way after. I mean, this was six years ago now that I left. Um, five years and eleven months now. According to Wikipedia, I just looked it up here while we're talking. Uh, Express Jet Airlines LLC is a North American regional airline headquartered in College Park, Georgia. It now flies under the United Express brand for United and is partially owned as a subsidiary of United Airlines. And it operates an all-jet fleet consisting exclusively of Embraer regional jets. And uh, they had, at least at the before all this uh, COVID stuff happened, they had bases in Chicago, Cleveland, Houston, Newark, and Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, so yeah, it was established in 1986, started operating in 1987. So it's been around for a little while. It was acquired by Continental for a while. It branched out, did some wholly owned stuff. And uh, now I guess it's a partially owned by United Airlines. So yeah, so it's a, it's a shell or completely different than what it, what it was. Cause it used to be only an, an ERJ or the Embraer 145 fleet. And I guess they're only flying the 170s now. And then when ASA came around, it was CRJs. And now the CRJs are totally gone. The 145s are totally gone there. Now they're flying only something completely different. So Man. I don't know. Admittedly, like I said, I've been out of that for quite a while, but I know that they've gone through a bunch of stuff. But to your original question, though, we were only, we were always line bidding for when I was there. Yeah. Well, you know, the, schedules have been kind of weird going on here at legacy airline of course because of all this and the reason i ask about the pbs is pbs is kind of new to me over the past uh, couple of years while i've been over here at legacy and it's been kind of weird to see the schedules basically dump you know um they for la on the airbus there was nothing more than a two-day trip and everything was one or two wow. legs on the first day with the, the, I think the average that I saw was about a 14 hour to 15 hour layover. There were some 20, 21 hour layovers and some 10 hour layovers. I mean, it just depends, but I think we're on average about 15 hour layover somewhere around there. Um, but nothing was more than a two day trip. Not one sequence in there was more than a two day trip. And I actually kind of bid strategically to try to maximize my time to make up for the fact that I really haven't flown this month. I, I, granted, I get my line guarantee and it's all, it's all good, but um, still it's a lot of things that are out of the loop, like per diem and, you know, just the, the little overage that we get every month that we kind of depend on to help pay the bills and the mortgage and whatnot. So, yeah, yeah. so I tried to maximize my time and I, I ended up with a 72 hour line, all two day trips, they were all in my very first layer of my PBS bidding. 
Now, preferential bidding system is the computer software that a lot of airlines are using. Almost all of them are using this uh, software nowadays because it does reduce the manpower necessary to process all of everyone's requests. And just kind of a, a recap for the listeners that may or may not understand how this PBS works. So pilots are in an industry where seniority is everything. And if you want to have a particular schedule, you bid for it, and it's completely based on your seniority. So the most senior person in the pilot group for that company would bid every month during a period of time, and, and they basically would get the pick of the litter. And there's hardline bidding where you have a, a list or a spreadsheet, and on that spreadsheet, there's line number one. And line number one includes the trips that are in line number one. And it goes on line two, three, all the way down to 300, 800, how many, however many lines there are. Then at the bottom of that, there's a bulk of either reserve lines or standby lines or, or things like that, depending on the company. So the most junior person basically gets whatever's left, which is usually like the worst possible thing for their schedule. So that's hardline bidding. And PBS bidding is the computer goes in and goes, well, what does the first person want? The first person wants, you know, this trip, that trip, or these days off, uh, this, you know, starting time at this time. I don't care what you give me, but as long as I start after noon uh, on, on Tuesdays, you know, there's so many variables that you can personalize your bid preference. And the computer goes through, analyzes it, and tries to accommodate everyone on the list the best they can in seniority order. So as a PBS, there are a lot more variables. It's, it's so much more complicated. And for the most part, it helps give everybody a little bit of what they want. And you bid layers. So at our company, we have, what, seven layers? So I bid a particular way. I have a method to my madness. And usually the first five layers are like my dream schedule. So my first yeah, layer, same here. yeah, I, I always put in like the best of the best of the overnights and the best trips. Yeah. Possible. The most unrealistic stuff that I think that I may never get, but that I want, and I would love to have right. as if I was a number one pilot in the world, the only guy at the airline. But that's, that's exactly the way you have to think about that, Rob, <laughs> is that you're number one and this is what I want. And cause sometimes it happens and how does that relate to April? Well, in the April bidding packet that I programmed into PBS, my number one layer had basically the two-day trips that started early in the morning because I don't have to worry about LA traffic right now, um, and did DCA overnights because my choices out of LA were DCA, Mexico City, uh, Charlotte, a couple Florida locations, and some other you know, like Chicago and other locations like that. I didn't, I took away all the hot cities, like anything on the East Coast or Florida. I just put those, I didn't want to go there because why go somewhere where there's a potential for higher risk? Um, I took away all the deadheads. Why should I sit in the back of an airplane if I don't have to? And then I took away all the red eyes. Why would I fly a red eye if I don't have to? 
let me try to keep a schedule that is within my circadian rhythm. And lo and behold, every single trip except for one was off my first layer. So it worked out pretty well for me. Now, mind you, That's I am good. not a senior pilot at Legacy Airlines. Yeah. I am, I'm middle of the road so, in terms of bidding. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, do you know your percentage? Do you know what? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, what your last I is? checked, it was fifty-six. Uh, for the that's a lot higher bid. than I am for the bid. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's higher than I am. I'm 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 still at like sixty-three percent yeah. here in uh, Dallas. Yeah. In so. base, I'm actually much much lower. I'm like at seventy something percent. So you know, yeah. I'm, but on the Airbus as an FO, I'm I'm actually sitting pretty good. And I think that's because there's a lot of leaves of absences that have been granted. That too was something that was issued in seniority order. So if you were a senior FO and you wanted a, a three-month leave, paid leave, as they were, as we talked about in the last show, you, odds are you were probably going to get it. But if you're a junior FO, you weren't going to get it because, you know, and, and that behooves the company as well because they want to get all the people that are making a lot of money in terms of on the payroll with the you know highest years of service, highest money coming in, give them the leaves of absences, keep them at home, pay them, you know, a, a three quarters of what they normally get paid just to stay at home because then all the cheaper employees, the people lower on the pay scale, make them do the work. So it, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Do you know, were, were there people that bid for leaves of absences that were not able to get them for staffing purposes? Yes. Uh, I really? just spoke with yeah. uh, a gentleman who we're going to have on the show here pretty soon uh, on our next show. Uh, and he w uh, bid for a six-month and a three-month leave of absence and didn't get it. His seniority couldn't hold it. Uh, he could have held a one-month leave of absence, but elected not to do that because he figured for one month, you know, no big deal. So, huh. and he's a Miami. And that based. part of me is just a little surprised that there was that you guys, you know, still have that much, that many people that went on leaves of absences and and still have enough flying to cover the people that didn't even that actually still wanted to go. Yeah, but I'm glad that you know I I'm, I hope that that I'm sure that the company has looked at that to to the nth degree, and I I hope that it works out for for everybody involved, including the company, because obviously the company is pretty important to a large amount of people too. Yeah, of course. I mean, the company needs to be around for a while because that's my paycheck, you know, and, and if the company does well, I do well. And I've always been of that mindset, you know, since before aviation in my previous career field, that's the way I was taught is, you know, if the company does well, you know, don't worry about the front door. The front door will open every day and it'll close every day at the same time. And just take care of your people and your, your people will take care of the needs of the company. And if you're doing everything in the right order and taking care of your people first, then the company is going to get taken care of, which then will reward the customers and the customers coming back will reward the shareholders. And so many times we see corporate America have that completely upside down where they take care of the shareholders first and they take care of their employees last because they figure, well, they're the low man on the totem pole. We can replace them. That's really not the way to operate a good business in the 21st century. So yeah, lots of uh, rabbit holes we can go down on that one. So, Oh yeah, <laughs> sure, for sure. <laughs> so your schedules uh, have changed, uh, you know, at least Rob and I, our schedules have changed. 
And Roger, have you any updates on your flying? Uh, as of right now, are you still just sitting waiting for a call? Still waiting, um, waiting for the call. However, like I had mentioned at, at the beginning of the show, there there has been some rumblings that things are going to start picking up again. I don't have any exact dates, but um, like a lot of other news, it's it's kind of like it's getting to the point where people are starting to look ahead again. And I think that that's kind of where, where we are at in the end. I, I do have a couple of, um, of pots that I have my hands in and, and both of them are, haven't been making noise about, you know what, um, me working on the, on the business side of aviation, if you will, <clears throat> um, that both, both of those parties have expressed the fact that, you know what, we're going to need to start moving again. We're going to need to start traveling again. I don't think, either one of them really knows exactly what that's going to look like or when that might start happening. But I, I do suspect that within the next 30 to 45 days, I, I'm not going to have a blank slate in terms of my schedule um, just because that's the nature of business, especially given, which is also good because given the fact that, that these people employ a fair amount of people, um, they, you know, they have, they have multiple businesses that employ many people and we need them to get back to work. We need them to be able to restart the companies to get people back to work so that we can at least start getting back to some kind of semblance of normal, even though, you know, I don't think that there's any question that that's not going to look like it did two months ago. Uh, but I think it's at least a step in the right direction. So I'm, I'm pretty heartened by that. And I do hope that I can say within the next 30 days that at least some movement will start taking place. Yeah. Hey, Roger, I got a question for you. When it comes to um, cur currency, you know, it just seems like you don't get to fly a lot um, for work, obviously. <laughs> and, that, and I think that's, you know, it could be a great balance if you could, you know, if, if uh, you could find the work-life balance there. But um, how do you handle currency in your job? I mean, obviously, you know, you still have to keep up with the landings and, you know, all the fancy IFR stuff with the approaches and the holdings. Right like that um and and it, it just doesn't seem like there's enough opportunity um maybe you just knock it all out when you go out for that you know one or two flights that you have to do but i don't know how do you how do you guys handle that yeah that's pretty much how it how it works it's it's definitely different than than the airline world and what you guys are accustomed to you guys don't think about currency it's built into your schedules it's built into your training cycles um we do occasionally have to kind of at least be cognizant of it. In the end, we do right now is a is a completely different. It's something completely different. Um, in the end, you know, you talked about the landings. You got the ninety days. Um, we're no, we're still nowhere close to that. I mean, our last flights, multiple flights, were were just a month and a half ago. So we're still only at forty five days. We did just fly. Um, last week we are need to go fly again to pick up the airplane like we were talking about um and so from the currency standpoint we do still do approaches albeit much fewer um than the airlines do you know there's kind of that that joke at the airlines about checking the weather you know why bother we're going anyway um yeah, we don't that. have that we do we do check the weather because the owners are sometimes interested in the weather and they're and different owners have differing levels of comfort 
have different levels of the importance of where they're going. Um, and in the end, we do shoot fewer approaches for that reason, just because if it's looking somewhat questionable, you know, you wouldn't, tomorrow's just as good as today. How about we go tomorrow when it's sunny and 75 instead of today when there's, you know, thunderstorms rolling through 80% chance of thunderstorms and tornadoes, for instance. Um, but realistically, the currency does not, we don't run into any issues with that. We do fly, um, we do fly plenty. If you look at the hours, we, you know, you guys have a large variance kind of depending on how many hours you want to fly. You guys are obviously capped at a thousand. I'd venture to guess you guys probably fly in the seven to 800, depending per year, seven to 800 hours. If there's, yeah. if there's a job out there that it had to fly 700 to 800 hours a year and the line of work that I do, I would run so fast the other direction. You wouldn't see me. Um, <laughs> we, we do 250 <laughs> to 300 hours a year. Um, but that's still plenty oh for, for currency standpoint, we're still gone about the same amount as you, as you guys. And there's a large variance in, in corporate and, and private jobs as well. Um, but typically you're looking at 250, 250 to 400 hours a year is a really, is a really busy account. Um, but either way from a currency standpoint, it's not going to become an issue. Yeah. Well, you know, all of this, uh, flight hours is actually looking at my, um, kind of in jeopardy for us as well. I mean, if, if I, I mean, it's only been 30 days. Okay. Not even 30 days, but it will be 30 days for me. I would have to stay, everything would have to cancel in April and, and part of May in order for uh, it to get worse for me that I have to worry about currency. Rob, you, like, like Roger was saying, it's really not a major issue for us. I'm sorry, guys. I lost uh, connectivity here. So I missed out on the, the conversation after Roger um, ended with his thing. So I, I missed the question. Or the That's what he said. Damn it, Bobby. What the hell's wrong with you? Uh, no, we were saying that, uh, you know, we, Roger, I was just kind of like adding on what Roger was saying. Roger was indicating that he doesn't have to worry too much about currency because even though they don't fly for 30, maybe even 60 days, eventually they will get that stuff in there, right? Am I yeah. understanding yeah, I you see. right, Roger? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, in the end, if you if I were to go back and look at look at my log, just for instance, we'll fly or we'll be gone usually between 11 and 14 days a month. And we'll be we'll fly on roughly about two thirds of those days. So in the end, we're still flying approximately eight days, eight, nine, 10 days a month. Because when we go out somewhere, oftentimes, you know, we'll, maybe we'll have a, a, a down day. Um, most of those days, to be honest, are one leg days. Um, we do do some that are two. I think I can count. I can count on one hand at the current job that I do where I've been for a year and a half. Yeah, about a, a little over a year and a half now. I can count on one hand the days that I've flown more than two legs. Where wow. I've flown because it's never been more than that because um, we just don't do it. But even then, you know, from a landing standpoint, your, your currency is still is still well in hand. Yeah. And to give some some perspective to some of the online listeners, I just pulled up my flight time for uh, the last 28 days. Um, and, and amidst this whole, 
you know, coronavirus COVID thing. I've, I've flown 26 and a half hours in the last 28 days, which that's, that's a month of flying uh, a, a whole month. And I usually do about 85 hours a month in 28 days. So um, I'm at 26 and then for the year, and these are all rolling numbers too. So uh, they, uh, the, the new 117 rules are, they're all rolling uh, timeline. So 365 days, I've flown 647 hours in the last year. So, uh, are you tired? <laughs> oh I mean, man. <laughs> I mean, that sounds just, that sounds grueling. Well, it's, yeah, it is what it is. I mean, actually it's a lot better than what we were doing at a, at a sandpiper. I think, I mean, we did a lot of short, you know, like, uh, you know, the short legs, you know, four legs, six leg days and some of the you know the beginning times it was just brutal and you'd barely even get that kind of time but you feel like you've worked six times as hard for the flight time and now it's just you know uh, there's a lot of i mean tony i know tony does a lot of you know straight and level stuff for four hours at a time doing those transcons and stuff yeah and so you know a lot of hours are uh chewed up just going straight and level which is you know good way to make your money if you're besides from sitting at home and getting your whole schedule canceled so <laughs> where are you looking up your hours what's the code for that i just i just looked at my uh, monthly schedule the hi1 and then up at the top you know that has some of the part 117 stuff on there so oh, okay um yeah flight time 672 hours which is basically 28 hours for the month and then 365 wow. days yeah, I'm at so what'd you say? I'm at 734. 734, yeah. So yeah. for 365 for the year. Yeah. 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 So yeah, you're you're almost a hundred hours more than I am. Actually, yeah. you're a little more yeah, a little less than a hundred hours more than I am. So yeah. That's good. Yeah. I think best. that's about about right. You know, it sounds like from what we talked about before, I think you try to target about eighty five hours a month, right? Right. Yeah. So yeah, we're we're both in a ballpark. Same thing here. Yeah. So I did, fortunately, but I, I don't need to look very far to do my totals because it's just one page of my of my logbook, which I just happened to grab. You have a logbook? Hey, I have a logbook. Don't you knock it, man. Logbook, Tony? Yeah, hell yeah, dude. I, I, <laughs> you do? Okay. Uh, I just use whatever you never they know, You never know what happens. I don't have a, you know, the forever job you guys do, uh, but I did just look I, it up. So this year of 2020, I have flown. 71 hours. And 71 hours this 71? year. I've flown 71 hours this year oh, so far. This is my and in the past third book. Month and a half I've flown <laughs> I've flown 52 minutes. Oh my gosh. Roger. That's awesome. Roger. Roger, give me your wings. Give them to me. <laughs> so, I know. You call yourself a pilot. I'll no. tell you what. <laughs> that boy went right. Dude, I got more time flying a kite than you do. Anyway. <laughs> Well, see, and that's that's one of the things when you guys talk about, you know, when talking about flight times, it's a very different flight times are a very different thing. I mean, you talking about to get to 250 hours in an aircraft type, you know, okay, so how many hours do you have in that in that type of airplane? I've got 200 hours and uh, people will turn their nose up with that. Well, that's a that's a year of flying. Yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. is a good that's a solid year. And that's if you're flying the same, yeah. you know, aircraft. The, the same airframe you know i fly a couple different a couple different airframes so i mean it can take me two years to get to 200 hours 
75 uh, days. In, in a specific type. <laughs> we we yeah. do it in 75 gonna, days. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. On the it's same, a totally different thing. Yeah. Yeah. On the same token, I have a bunch of military friends that were F-16 pilots. And, you know, in, in the, uh, you know, in the beginning when I was trying to build time and everything and, you know, I'm like, Hey man, you know, I finally got like, you know, 20 hours this month. And they're like, wow, that's pretty damn good. You know, those guys, they're lucky, you know, if they put 80 hours a year, yeah, in an F, you know, right. in an F sixteen, and that's that's working it. You know, that's that's humping it in the F sixteen. A lot of those guys, when you see a guy out there um, that has two thousand hours in an F sixteen, and I'm sure a lot of that has changed because I've been kind of uh, been detached from a lot of that stuff for for years now. But you know, if you if there was a pilot coming in with like two hundred, uh, I'm sorry, two thousand hours in a Viper, you know, that guy had high time. I mean, he he'd been doing it for twenty twenty five years and you know, that, that's amazing. So yeah. it's, it's amazing. The, the, the drastic differences between, you know, military corporate, like you, Roger and, and airline guys, you know, it's just it's all I think over the, the board. distinction really is with the fact that when you fly for an airline operator, what planning are you doing? You're doing no planning whatsoever. Someone else is doing that for you. You're just verifying the numbers with your flight release prior to every flight. That's true. And you have about 15 minutes to review a usually 20 to 25 page document that has all the notams and weather and, and, and MELs and things that yeah. have to do with fuel burn and winds aloft. And, and so you're really just glancing over it to making sure that it all looks good and you're going to have uh, the appropriate amount of routing and fuel for your current flight. But as a private operator or a corporate operator or a military operator, you're spending so much time in the planning phase of each sortie or flight op or what have you that really that time is not calculated in a logbook somewhere. But that's really where the, the difference is, I think, is that you're Absolutely. spending so Absolutely. much more time planning because you're solely responsible in many cases uh, for that. And, you know, and in, in the military, you're training. You're training, you're going through your sortie scenarios and, you know, so that time is, is you can't really compare apples to apples, basically. It's not. They're apples to oranges for sure. So, yeah. yeah totally agree. There, there, there's, yeah, I because think, you've got it. two different, you've got jobs that necessarily a lot of the airline job is just flying the airplane. In the corporate world, there is, you know, a lot of your time that's spent is like you were just talking about is actually in the in the planning phase. And, and there's other stuff outside of even flying that, that you're responsible for because those passengers, you know, you guys, you guys, you know, put, get the passengers on the airplane and you, then you usher the plane, the passengers off the airplane and that's the end of it. Um, we've got transportation, lodging. There's a lot of different stuff that goes in actually isn't with what we do other than just actually um, operating the aircraft as well. Yeah, speaking of the passengers getting ushered off, Tony, how, how weird is it to, for you to like a park, you know, set the parking brake at, at the gate at the end of a flight and, you know, run your, your shutdown checklist or whatever you call it. And then turn around, and the passengers and the flight attendants are already off the airplane. Yeah, <laughs> there's not a ghost town. passengers on the airplane. It reminds me Usually when it I was takes like three twenty minutes for them to get off. Right, <laughs> exactly. You know, it, that's just kind of the way it's going to be for a little while. Hopefully, that you know, as these uh, technology and the medical field is starting to have great potential for us to get back to work with these tests that are potentially going to test the antibodies and whatnot. And so that's going to make a huge difference. I think the next 30 days uh, is going to be 
really interesting to keep an eye out for not just the aviation industry, but for the whole scope of what the world is going through to get back to work because, okay, you know, we've, we've, we've had our fun playing PlayStation and Xbox and we, you know, whatnot at home. And now it's time to, to start earning the, the money because unemployment rates, I mean, the government can't sustain these unemployment rates for a long period of time. So we're going to have to get back to work really. And the new normal. And, and I, I'm, we're not going to really talk about COVID on this uh, particular show today, uh, but there's a lot of interesting things happening around the world, uh, including uh, I was seeing over in the was it the Netherlands that they've decided not to do any kind of lockdown whatsoever and just do like a mass uh, public, uh, like everybody gets it, and then there's going to be a mass immunity because really they all have the yeah they all have the antibodies. So uh, I'm interested to see everybody's kind of watching to see what what's going on there. But so let's, uh, I hate to say let's start off the show because we're 50 minutes into it. But uh, on this show, we wanted to talk about good news. Uh, I'm inspired by some of these new videos that are out there on YouTube. And, and you know, I want to talk a little, bit, a little bit of good news. And I came across this article last night as I was doing a little bit of research for the show. And I just wanted to touch base with you guys to see what your thoughts are. That uh, the LAX at home is a new program that connects the airport, the community, as Angelinos and uh, the others in the community throughout California. And the way they're doing that is by giving them access to some of the programs that are existing at the airport. Uh, and in a press release from the LAWA.org or the Los Angeles World Airports that was released yesterday, it says here, uh, since most people are staying at home, we are bringing LAX into their homes with a variety of engaging educational and fun activities and content that capture the spirit of LAX during a time when most people can't physically visit the airport. From virtual tours of our award-winning art program to video visits with our Pets Unstressing Passengers or Pups program to games and coloring activities, there is something for everyone. And I got to tell you guys, I went through the website. It was a little difficult to find, and I'll have some links in the show notes. But some of those coloring pages are pretty badass, man. I'm going to print some out and bust out some coloring tonight. They've got some really cool detail. It's not like they have some simple ones for the kiddos, but they have some coloring pages there that are pretty damn intricate. So definitely worth checking it out. All the LAX volunteers are safer staying at home. And the LAX Pups canine team are no exception. The LAX Pups at Home videos are available on their Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube platforms, and new content is being added weekly. Just search LAX Pups. Also, a new video series called LAX Art at Home interviews some of the newest artists at LAX and gives viewers a deeper look at the process and meaning behind the art that is now on display inside of LAX terminals. An LA-based artist, Luciana Abat, is the first to appear in this occasional series and talks about her mixed-media exhibit. A Letter to the Future is what it's called, and it's currently available on view in Terminal 7 until fall of 2020. Again, I'll have a link in the show notes. Looking for fun activities at home? This is what I was talking about. LAX is now offering a variety of downloadable airport-themed coloring pages. The options include the iconic theme building and forthcoming automated people mover, a commercial aircraft, and a famous 
LAX pylons. Interesting in testing your brain skills, LAX has a variety of puzzles and word searches as well. There are options there for travelers of all ages and skill levels. So that's pretty cool that an airport yeah. would, would bring this out to the public via either social media or online forum so that people can still be engaged with LAX. Do you guys know of any programs in your area? No. What? <laughs> well, did you say programs to, in my area? <laughs> yeah, there, there's, um, you know, there's a lot of um, things going on on social media that I've, I kind of just skimmed through. But um, yeah, I think a lot of people are trying to, um, you know, reinvent the way they connect with, uh, you know, with their customers and, 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 and the public and, you know, towns and everything like that. And, staying connected there's there's been a lot of um i think i mentioned this before but i've seen a lot more of it going on especially with the proms you know the the, the students that are are uh, you know being neglected their their uh you know their their senior prom and everything like that so there there's been a lot of like social media where they have you know they'll last via social media their 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 friends out to the prom and i think that's really really nice um and uh you know, a lot of drive-by happy birthday things going on where they'll, uh, you know, have a set up a little table on the street, have a cake, and, and all their friends would drive by in their cars honking the horns and, you know, yelling out happy birthday for 10, 15 minutes. And, you know, since you can't gather, it's okay to do a drive-by. So they've been doing that. So I think that a lot of that stuff's been going on. I, that's really nice to see. Yeah. And and I can't say I mean a whole lot of stuff that's that's going on in my neck of the woods either. Um you know, to be honest, a lot of my time's been refamiliarizing myself with um with school material and how to be a teacher and how to have kids home a lot and and kind of learning about the online classroom aspect. And a lot of stuff that I've been doing has to do with with the kids in the school. I mean, to be honest with you, I I got back last week. I'm not sure if I've actually left if i've actually driven a car anywhere in the last nine days um just just get about getting about a uh, uh one month to the gallon on the, on the car now <laughs> but yeah well that especially negative... considering the fact that I, i've got an electric car which is the, so now right. things are really kind of screwy go charge the battery I, I know well and the cars being used i mean part of it is just because of the way that you know our home situation is um, you know, she, she is the one that's been going out for the things that we need. I mean, she, and you know, she's been going out every other day or so, yeah. um, you know, people are different. She's, she's much more, she needs that escape much more than I do. And so I'm willing to let her go, go and do that. But I mean, yeah, to be honest with you, I haven't had a whole lot of social interaction at all outside of, you know, YouTube loosely used gentleman term here. Um, but, you know, it's a totally, you know, brand new thing for a whole lot of people. And like I said, I have hardly had any, now that I'm actually thinking about it, I've hardly had any social interaction <laughs> over the course of this whole, this whole thing. Well, you got us, buddy. <laughs> I know. And if you really want to get crazy, you can go out and start some havoc. <laughs> oh. But hey, you know, this has really been a challenge is to the struggle of isolation and so many Americans. I watched the funniest 
meme or TikTok or whatever the heck it was. I don't know. I don't have TikTok, so it was, it was like a, on social media of some kind. And it was a guy, and he's like, oh, this is going to be six years from now in uh, first grade. And here's the teacher calling roll call. And he's reading off a list of names of all the kids. And the names are uh, Coronita, uh, Covidia, no, <laughs> Isolationa, no, no. And <laughs> just, it's just nonstop. It's like <laughs> Pandemica. No, <laughs> it's so funny. And you know it's going to happen. You know it's going to oh, happen. Man. So, you know, yeah, getting into pediatrics cool. right now <laughs> in the next nine months, Roger, I'm telling you, <laughs> get into pediatrics. I do wonder about, you know, what it's, what it's like to be, to, to, to be pregnant or about to have a kid in today's environment. I mean, is it, is it scary? Is it, is it worrisome? I, I, I kind of just wonder about, about stuff like that. Yeah. And, and yeah, if you're going to go down and COVIDia, hey, you know, going to have a whole new different meaning after this. Yeah. That's a nice name. <laughs> COVIDia. Oh. <laughs> oh, shit. So, uh, hilarious. in, in some, some other uh, news, or just real briefly, we've got to throw at least something in there. Uh, aviation, uh, a little bit more aviation related here. Came across this article that was released this morning. And, you know we're we're gonna spin it as some good news, but if you read the whole thing, and I'll put a link in the show notes, this is an article from Inc.com by Chris. Ah, forgive me, Matskazinsk. That's the best job I could do. I'm sorry. So Chris Matskazinsk, he indicates that uh, Southwest promises not to furlough anyone, but is this really good news? And again, I'll put the uh, link. In the show notes, an air, the airline's CEO, Gary Kelly, spoke to his employees via a video conference and made this courageous pronouncement. We will not be downsizing the airline, he said. That's quite a bold statement in circumstances that are so uncertain. How can he possibly say that? Kelly admitted he's preparing for a number of scenarios. However, he believes Southwest is oddly well-placed to avoid shrinkage. That's what she said. He said, we need to be prepared for a very prolonged sluggish travel environment. And that's where having plenty of cash, low debt, and a low cost structure and low fare brands becomes so important. But then the caveat emerged. If this is the real recession and a bad recession, it could take four to five years for passengers to return. So it was revealed that the company has turned to its flight attendants, pilots, mechanics, and other employees and asked for concessions. Let me say that again. They asked for concessions. The union appeared reluctant, understandably fearing temporary concessions may become permanent. Anybody at Legacy Airlines can tell you that's always the fact. Southwest has never laid off staff, and it never furloughed them either. Yes, in its history, it has never laid off staff or furloughed. Clearly, Kelly's motivation was to reassure its employees. It's understandable in a company that very much focuses on its people. And that could be a good thing if the economy bounces back 
a little bit better than we're projecting and depending on some of these, you know, deathly negative articles that we are you know, reading here on a daily basis, which I've tried to reduce over the last 10 days. But it also, if it has to come to reduction in pay in order to not furlough, that could set us back quite a bit. And whatever the world's, or I should say the country's largest airline right now is Southwest. They have the most flights in the country. They beat out legacy airlines and and Acme and some of the others by quite a bit because they have continuous. Well, and I think that that's kind of a kind of a key to that article is that that the fact that they're the biggest within the continental United States is going to help them immensely because I think what's going to be a lot slower to come back is the big money makers for the legacy airlines, which is the actual international, and they use those legacy. Um, airlines, the big three, if you will, typically use the domestic in order to funnel towards the international, which is where a lot of that money is made for them. And and Southwest, you know, somewhat famously has stayed away um, for the most part from the international. You know, they they do do some now with with the AirTran merger, but um, you know, everybody knows them as the domestic carrier, and so I, I think that that does uniquely position them to be a little bit better off than a lot of the airlines. I don't, I think that like you were just saying, I think that a lot of that is, is to reassure the, the employees. You can go down that whole road with the concessions and whether what he said is true or not. I do believe that, that his goal is certainly not to have to furlough anybody. um, Especially because that's kind of woven into the fabric of their DNA, having not done it so far. But in the end, a lot of it is going to be dictated by how this is going to turn around. I I do not think, you know, just guessing about the, the, the general public, I don't know if it's going to take as long as they're, as they're fearing for travel to come back. I still think that just kind of looking at people um, around or, or hearing people talk now, people are anxious to get back to a quote unquote normal. They want to go back to what they see as a normal life and what people, the the general public sees as a normal life is not necessarily going to be sitting on the sidelines and keeping 18 feet away from each other for another five years. I, you know, it's not going to be quick. I don't think I was kind of hoping before that it would be, I, I still, I don't, I do not think it's going to be necessarily quick, but I also do not think it's going to be four or five years. It, I, I would think probably within one or two people want to get back. They're going to want to go see grandma. They're going to want to go see some, some other place in the country because we have always, or, or the people that are around now, we've always had the ability to do that. And when they're able, I think that people will probably start to do that. And I do think the Southwest will be better positioned in order to provide that to people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you, Roger. And I echoing on what you just said, I think, you know, I think Gary Kelly, you know, I think he has to make those comments to his troops because that that's, uh, you know, that just sets the mindset for his employees and everything that, hey, you know, we're we're going to be OK. And, and, you know, you guys just keep doing what you're doing. We're not going to we're not going to, uh, you know, lay you off. We're not going to, you know, um, fur- furlough you in any way. Um, posturing, I guess. You know what I mean? That's probably yeah. a good way to say it. You know, just just oh, it is. basically pump up your team and and let's say, hey, we're going to be here. We're going to be ready to go. 
And like you said, I think people are, are ready to go. People are ready to, to get out. I mean, you just look around my town here and there's been a, a noticeable uptick in, you know, people, people that are out. out. Yeah. People I, driving that's around. the same thing here within the last uh, week or two. They're ready to go. And I know that Texas is going to be one of the first states to, to kind of open up. I think a lot of states are kind of looking at that anyway, but um, uh, we're, you know, we're ready to go. I think traveling is going to be one of the first things that, that happens uh, because it's part of the essential business stuff. As a matter of fact, you know, I, I mentioned it over and over again in all the other episodes. My kids play volleyball and they have, they just rescheduled four of their tournaments for the next month. So there, there's thousands of kids ready to go to, you know, Orlando, St. Louis. Um, actually, I don't think St. Louis is going to happen, but Orlando, there's uh, Austin and, and these, you know, they're ready to go. So as soon as there's a green light, I know there's going to be a lot of people traveling, whether it be Southwest, American, uh, Delta, or any of the other airlines, even corporate stuff. You know, they're going to be ready to go. I think this summer Once is going to goes, bounce back. Honestly, I, I think that people are going to want to get out yeah. and go on vacation with these $13 overnights uh, yeah. vacation. They'll go, oh, I'll just wear a mask, you know. Yeah, the, you know? the and hotels then, are ready to go. Yeah. The, the restaurants are ready to go. I think it's going to be, you know, obviously everything's unpredictable. So whatever I'm saying here obviously is could be completely off. You know, I'm totally uneducated and stupid about this whole thing. But, you know, it's, it's caught in everybody off guard anyway. So whatever I say, it's just as educated of a guess as most of the other people, unless they're data-driven and everything like that. But just think about it. It's going to be like a huge siphon effect. It's going to be like a huge um, like tidal wave. Once things go, it's going to go fast. You know, it's going to pick up quickly. I, I don't think I – think I think you're going to have a couple of touchy-feelies. You know, let's see what happens here or then. But within like a week or two, it's just going to, you know, accelerate to a point where they're going to be like – we're Whoa. off to the races, yeah, we buddy. We need to hire more people. Yeah. Yep. So then uh, people are stir crazy. For. They want to get they out. Are. Yeah, they want to yeah. get out. They want to spend money. They want to go out and see the world, see the country. I think it's going to happen. And get back to their, you yeah. know what, what, what normal, normal. I think we're going to have a slow progression this summer, and and we're going to start to see it ramp up. And then really, when the big, I think when the big normalcy is going to happen is the school year. So as soon as school is back in session and these yeah. parents are going to be like, the kids are out of the house. The kids are out of the house. Let's party. <laughs> That's going to be the norm. <laughs> yeah. What I think you're going to see too is there's going to be a lot of um, rules set in place for social distancing when things do open up. You know, you can't pack a you know, restaurant full of people. You can't pack a plane full of people. You're going to have to have allow you know, a certain distance between seats and stuff like that. But I think that's not going to last very long. I think there's going to be a point where they're going to be like, you know, people are going to be like, we need more capacity. We need more seats. And we're going to, they're going to start pushing for, you know, uh, uh, you know, putting pressure on, on whoever's making these rules, these legislators and, and yeah. thing and, and just say, Hey, you know, we need to, we need to back off on this and get back to normal. We can't let this run our lives anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, what if we go back? I mean, this is just a theory, but what if, as we ramp back up, the airlines decide, you know, we're going to you know, bring in the interiors from the 1970s of these airplanes. So instead of crowding 170 people in the back of this jet, let's put 150 people in the back of this jet. Just have a little bit wider seats, a little bit more leg room, a little more separation. 
and you know with the with the updated cleaning processes the air filtration systems the technology that's out there people wearing masks and i, I just read that uh, canada is now requiring that all passengers wear a mask in order to be on the aircraft they can't be on the aircraft without a mask so you know i know that these kind of things by state by state are out there. If you're out in public, you have to wear a mask. I know in California, you can't even walk into an establishment unless you have a face covering on. Um, you know, and the other day I, I saw a, a kid, she was like this and she walked in the store and I guess that <laughs> counts, you know, I Is guess that, okay? that counts, but then how are you going to pick up this? I mean, I don't know, whatever. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it, so we might see some changes, but can you imagine if the interiors and they charge just a little bit more, in terms of price, you know, because they have to make up the yeah, cost. So instead of squeezing everybody in like a sardine in a can, maybe we go back to a little bit of that civility that we had in aviation back in the 70s. I, I don't, don't really know if they're going to want to outlay the capital in order to, to change the interiors when the whole goal of, of those airlines is they're going to, I mean, they've got a lot of ground to make up in, in terms of it's financial related. Now they're, they've got the loan or at least a partial loan to the government to repay. And, and yeah. to, to then to pay for the change in the interiors, I don't know if they're going to really want to go that far. You know, I just hope that things do kind of start picking up. I think the big, the big question mark is if, you know, especially as we get back into fall and winter, if, if it comes back and we kind of have a, another wave, I think is going to be a big, um, that, that could put a, a pretty big damper on things, but, yeah. um, I, I still maintain people are stir crazy. Like I've seen, and Rob mentioned, you know, if you just look in the last week or two, there has been a noticeable increase in the amount of cars and people that I have seen in in the neighborhood. Um, and and I think that that's only going the longer this goes on, the only more that that's going to to increase. So, yeah, yeah I think a lot of more people are now also taking the risk of just violating whatever city ordinances are in, in place because you know, the chances of law enforcement enforcing the actual, you know, code is, is very rare and slim. I mean, obviously there's people doing it, but, and I don't say, I don't, I'm not just saying, I'm not saying you, you go out, you should go out and break the law either. Um, but I just think that more people are, are willing to just, just go out there and, and, you know, take their safety into their own hands and, and go out and just live their life. You know, that, that's, that's where I think we're getting to right now. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people are just burned out. They're just burned out from staying at home. They're burned out from being indoors. And, you know, we're a social society. So, you know, I know I'm burned out. And with all this you know, COVID stuff that's going on, it's affected so many aspects of our lives. I just couldn't bring myself to continue to, to do things like pay for cable service. I mean, I'm not even watching the TV. All I'm doing is Netflix, streaming, Apple TV, and, and you know, and if anybody wants to to get an idea of what society is going to be like in the next 10 years, just download, watch, or rent, or whatever, the movie Idiocracy. Because that is where oh. we're heading, ladies and gentlemen. We already got the clown in the White House. <laughs> <laughs> Idiocracy, that's great. Idiocracy, great <laughs> film. It's uh, uh, Luke Wilson, yeah. My Rudolph. Uh, it came out years yeah. ago. It, it's it's a kind of a cheesy film, but it speaks volumes to the direction society at least in a theoretical standpoint is going yeah and man are we really falling yeah. into that category and you know a good way to tie this whole thing into aviation is uh is is i really enjoy 
and, and you could do it with, with, I guess, the cable providers too, but it just seems so much more e easier to uh, bring everything with you on the road and just watch it on your iPad now. Oh, yeah. Because uh, I could watch my YouTube TV, Netflix, obviously, and, and Amazon Prime, all that stuff, and I, possibly my Hulu stuff, but I, I don't even do much on Hulu anyway. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's awesome because if you have like a two-hour sit during – you know, a, a turn at, at your wherever airport you're at, or, or Roger, you know, you're, you're kind of waiting for the, for your flight to kick off or anything. And you have some downtime, you know, you can just plug in your, your headphones or Bluetooth and, and catch up on that series that you've, uh, that you've been wanting to watch. And, um, it's, it's, it's really awesome. Uh, before you didn't have that, you know, you kind of yeah. stuck to whatever's on cable at, at, at the hotel. And, and how many times have you, turned on the TV at the hotel and you're like, Oh, I, I wanted to watch this one show on, on HBO or Showtime. And you go to that one particular channel and it, that's gone. the only channel that that's gone. That doesn't yeah. work. And you're like, come on. You don't pay for that. <laughs> the company didn't pay for it. That. Has, it's it's <laughs> right, really yeah. cool for those sits to be able to just turn, to just be able yeah. to turn whatever you want on and, and pick up where you've left off. Absolutely. One reason I actually Marriott hotels, not all of them, but, um, allow you to cast what you're what you're doing I like it. um onto their TV onto yep. their TVs yeah. or their TVs or smart yep. TVs and, and those Marriott yep. TV, you can watch That's it on the normal awesome. TV. You don't have to yep. touch that know. hotel remote at all. You can use your phone. <laughs> I don't yeah. I don't remember awesome. the last time I actually watched an, an actual hotel cable. Yeah. Why would you? Because I everything's just on the little TV. iPad. You know what? I rarely turn it on. The turning point for me, the, the the factor that is most critical in my decision to get rid of TV and, and not watch TV shows, at least in a live setting, are the commercials. Okay. I cannot stand the max volume commercials that interrupt your show every 15 minutes. I'd rather stream it. And, and sometimes some of this streaming, there are commercials in there, but big deal. You turn the volume down with a button or push mute on your headphones, whatever, and, and you get through it. But yeah, the commercials, they they kill me. And now I've got so spoiled, even with podcasts, I can't even stand radio in the car anymore. I, I can't stand the commercials. <laughs> two songs commercials, yeah. two songs commercials. And the commercials last longer than I the songs. So why the hell do I even listen to the radio it drives anymore? drives me nuts. And they're the same commercials over and over and over again, too. Well, you know, up next, real quick, uh, let's <laughs> move into this uh, next segment I'm really excited about. And it's called, Remember When... Remember when it was not required to wear a face mask in public? Remember when we flew schedules that were exhausting with little rest between four and five and even six day trips? Remember when you could get hired at a regional and bring home close to 80K the first year of total compensation with all those bonuses that they had? Remember when? How about going back even farther? When we were barely clearing 20 or 25K a year on reserve living out of our mobile homes, which are our suitcases, right? In crash pads and top bunks with six other dudes in a room that smelled like shit and the whole apartment was just like ridiculously dirty. Remember when, you know, how about that flight training? Sitting in your first fixed wing aircraft with your instructor, looking at all those weird gauges in front of you, impressed by the guy or gal sitting next to you who may have only been like a few years older than you? Let's go back, let's go way back. And let's talk about a few sessions that we remember from our past to help give perspective to those young aviators that are just now in flight training or thinking about going to flight training. I want to talk about a few events that have made a big 
impact to our aviation careers. Now, I can remember a story that kind of changed my perspective dramatically. I was going to a flight school over at Deer Valley in North Phoenix, and I was at the, at the time it was called Pan Am Flight Academy. It was one of these uh, pilot farms that you would go in and you have to wear the uniform with the bars and the stripes and whatnot. And uh, it was a great school. It was very, very expensive at the time, but I really did get a quality education from them. And on one of my time-building flights, I had to fly from Deer Valley over to, like, I think it was Blythe or Sholo or something like that, and back as a way to build my cross-country flight time. And it was a Sunday morning, and the flight plan that I had written out and had approved by the one of the officers that were in what we call dispatch, or basically flight instructors sitting at a desk that would put their initials on your flight plan to make sure that, okay... You got enough fuel for this. This looks good. The weather's good. You can go. And that's how we would do our time building. And here I was flying, I think it was about 4,500 feet and going westbound VFR. And as I left the Deer Valley airspace, I tried to pick up flight following from Luke Air Force Base. But Luke Air Force Base was closed because it was Sunday. So I got on with the Phoenix air traffic control and asked them if they knew the status of Luke Air Force Base and were they open and available for flight following. And they said, no, once you pass Gila Bend, contact Albuquerque Center and request flight following with them. And I thought, okay, well, that's good. And my flight instructor at the time said, while you're on these cross-country flights, use that time to your advantage. While you're, you know, you make sure you know where you are, you're doing all the pilotage stuff, aviate, navigate, communicate. But once all that's completed, you're putzing along at you know 110 knots. You might as well play around with the GPS system. We had a, a Garmin, I think it was a 530, it was a color screen. And he says, you know, this is the time where you can kind of start putting in waypoints and start learning how to use it because you're in the airplane anyway, right? So I had my head down and I'm plugging away and putting in my destination, the waypoints for my flight plan. And something in my head told me, wait a minute, your head's down. Who's looking out? Get flight following at minimum. Have that layer. So I wasn't even over Gila Bend. I had not even crossed it yet. And I decided to reach out to Albuquerque Center and try to get flight following. And they said, well, we're not picking you up. Uh, can you climb? I said, sure. So I, I climbed up to 6,500 feet. And they said, okay, yeah, radar contact, uh, squawk this number and, and you know, you're clear to as you requested for flight following. Not 60 seconds goes by. And I hear uh, November, you know, what, two, three, four, Papa Alpha. We have traffic at your six o'clock position. Same altitude. Your targets will merge. Suggest immediate climb or descent. And I was heads down looking at the Garmin and kind of glancing up every once in a while. And I went, I'm sorry, say again? I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Traffic, less than a mile, you're six o'clock, your targets will merge, suggest immediate climb. I said, I'm climbing, full throttle, pull back on the stick, and as I'm climbing up, I hadn't even reached 7,000 feet yet. And here comes, from around my 6.30, 7 o'clock position, kind of the same direction, another piper underneath me. 
didn't move, didn't rocket swings, didn't flinch. Whoever was in that aircraft made absolutely no adjustments to their flight path. And our targets would have absolutely merged. I became white as a ghost. And I and I was shaking. And ATC says, Okay, do you see him? Do you see him? And I looked, I lowered a wing and I could see him pass under me. And I said, Yes. Uh it looks like a uh some kind of uh archer or an arrow or something, green, green paint, white airframe. And uh it looks like I'm clear of them. Okay, you you can continue back down to six thousand five hundred at your discretion. I I'm gonna stay here for a little while before I go down. They're like, okay, that's fine. And I caught my breath. I didn't my eyes never went back into that GPS, not one time for the rest of that flight. I was, you know, it, it, just an amazing event, scared the crap out of me. And if I hadn't called air traffic controlled prior to the fix that they told me or suggested that I reach out for flight following, and I didn't have them looking out for me, that could have been the end of it. That could have been the end of me. And I really learned something about always the importance of aviating first, the importance of having multiple layers of safety, the importance of listening to that little voice in the back of your head that says, something ain't right. And that really shaped early on in my career progression. That shaped how I still operate to this day. And Roger, you've, you've got an extensive flight instruction background. Uh, we flew together as flight instructors. Do you have any kind of stories that really shaped the way you operate today that are rooted in your primary teachings and learnings? I've been fairly fortunate that I haven't had any, you know, gross stories like that. Um, you know, on an earlier episode way back, you know, I had my, my big my big incident, if you will, going to Sholo, um, actually. Um, but from an instructional standpoint, I mean, there were things that definitely did happen. I think one of the the bigger ones that did change some of the ways was when I was an instructor and actually in multi-engine instructing. You know, I was, I was younger. I, I went into flight instruction right after college. And I think that there's a, a lot of things that just just when you're younger, everybody thinks that they're somewhat invincible. Um, and I think that that, that that definitely played into it for me. I didn't necessarily know you'd never flown a turbine powered airplane that, you know, a piston powered airplane was the only airplane you knew. Um, and so you didn't recognize some of their limitations as much. And this particular incident happened, um, when I was flight instructing and I was doing multi-engine instruction, um, actually with another instructor in the airplane, and part of multi-engine instruction is single engine operations. And, you know, I thought it would be good um, awareness, practice, what it would be like to, to actually shut down an engine in flight, which I, ha- I had done beef. I had had done to me before. I had never actually um, done it, except in the particular airplane that I was in, it, you really, if you're going to do that, should have shut down one engine and I had him shut down the other side. And the reason that we tried to shut down only one of them is because it was really hard to get the one restarted. And sure enough, 
that actually did happen for a while. We never, I mean, eventually we did get the engine restarted, but we were flying around for a while, kind of looking at each other like, well, um, this might not have been the, the smartest plan. And I never, I, to this day, I have not shut down in a piston powered airplane. Um, I have not shut down and, and actually a, a for real engine shut down in flight. And again, that was not on an approach. It wasn't like we were, you know, this was going to be cruise altitude only. I, um, no one should ever shut down an engine for you for real in a piston powered airplane when you are actually on an instrument approach. And I'm, I'm not advocating that nor saying that that's an okay thing. This was just in cruise <laughs> flight to see what it was like. Uh, I just want to put that caveat in there. Uh, but I, I learned from that, you know, maybe shutting down a piston powered airplane in flight, um, in a multi-engine obviously is not, is not the best plan. Now I do do it, you know, as, as probably most listeners know from my intro, I do do some King, a fair amount of King Air instruction. I do shut down engines, um, in the King Air. I have not one time in my entire life flying, you know, a couple thousand hours in King Airs, five legs a day sometimes. So I've never had a, a King Air engine fail to start on me. A PT6 engine fail to start, whether that's on the ground or in flight. Um, but um, I do remember that incident flying around over in the Phoenix area and, and all of a sudden looking around going, well, this is kind of one of those things that they tell that they tell us we don't ever want to do is, is land a piston-powered multi-engine airplane with one engine. And it would have been my own fault because I shut it. I pulled the mixture control and I shut it down voluntarily. Yeah. So that's one thing that, you know, sh that shaped me in terms of it, in, in terms of an incident. Yeah. Just to keep the, uh, the show, uh, as you were saying, you were going to show, I remember your incident. Uh, and I believe you told me about that, uh, soon after that happened, I can remember that story. Um, but in, in, in the story I was telling, actually, I was going to Blythe. I was going westbound to Blythe. You were Sholos. Well, I wasn't, side, I wasn't about to tell you that that was going to be a serious time-building trip if you were going to Sholos and you, you gotta, were headed west. you got to correct me, man. <laughs> but hey. You gotta, you'll you know, eventually get there, but it'll take go a few west, young man. <laughs> we got to keep our accuracy rate at least 50% here. Otherwise, it's all just going to go to shit, man. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. No, it was Gila Ben, and I think it was Buckeye VOR. I don't know. It was one of those VORs. Um, but yeah, it's so long ago. Uh, but yeah, it's an amazing, you know, shutting down an engine and then training purposes or, or, or otherwise, and, and then having a difficult time getting it running again, absolutely can raise all the hairs on the back of your neck for sure. And it did yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, Rob? I've got a good one kind of along the same lines. I was, uh, just trying to build multi-engine time. So it had already been a MEI. Um, CF double I and all that other double I stuff out there at, at um, our previous flight school and um, instructor out there. And uh, I was so, trying to build time in 4 4 Tango. I think everybody's probably flown that thing once or twice at uh, that Seneca. That, uh, the truck. That was that. The truck. Yeah. 4 yep. 4 truck. Yep. Have you flown that, Roger? Uh that sounds remarkably similar to oh, the airplane yeah. Yeah. that I was just referring to. Yeah. yeah. I think okay. there was a, there was a four, I don't yeah, remember what it. it was, but there was a was Tango a, in it and it was yeah. a Seneca. Seneca. It was a Seneca one. one. It was yeah. Seneca one, barely airworthy. Uh, so yeah, that, that, that was the plane that I, I, I needed like, um, I think I needed like 10 more hours to, to have the bare minimums for, you know, putting in my apps at all the airlines and stuff like that. So I, I said, you know what? screw it. I'm going to bite the bullet. I'm going to, you know, pay 
pay for the flight time. I'm just going to go up and fly this airplane around. So after, after work, um, hopped in the plane. And I think at this one, at this, uh, uh, I think the, the, the plane only had like a half a tank, maybe even a quarter of a tank of gas in it. So just enough for what I was going to do. I was just going to hop in the airplane, fly down to like Marana, Pinal, make it across country, you know, cause that was right at the, you know, the, like within a mile of being beyond the, you know, the cross country, you know, 50 miles nautical mile thing mm-hmm. and then fly back so flown that airplane hundreds of times already you know i already have like 80 hours 90 hours in it or whatever and so i did the pre-flight and you know the fuel selectors you know i forget how it was but there were sliders you know right between the seats remember that yeah so you know it was off cross feed and on or something like that so you know that's one of the checks you know you cross feed whatever and make sure that it, it's cross feeding to the other yeah left tank, right whatever. both or something like that yeah 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 there's something like that right so anyway uh so did all that took off flew cross country landed in in marana um uh actually i didn't go to marana i went to the other one what's the one just south of that ryan field i think it was yeah uh ryan now uh, south of Pinal. Pinal. It was right just south of Pinal. I yeah, think was, next I to think Tucson. Rockfield. Just west of Tucson is Ryan Field. Then it's, yeah, down at Ryan. That's okay, they so had it was Ryan the, Field. Uh, yeah, they had a good restaurant there that had uh, prickly pear jelly, I remember. So that's what it was. I got out, went to the bathroom, got a little quick sandwich, and 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 then blast off to go back to uh, Chandler. Well, did my quick pre, you know, run-up check, rent 1,700 magnetos, blah, blah, did the fuel thing, and I... Quickly got off the ground, flying straight and level, eating my sandwich, and all of a sudden the right engine goes and just stops. Oh. So I'm like, oh. oh my god, you know, a lot of left rudder, you know, mixture prop throttles, make sure the flaps up, gear up, check the mags, and I go down to the fuel selector, and I realize I left the right engine fuel selector in. Uh, actually the left engine fuel select, uh, I forget how it was. One of the engines was in cross feed. Uh. Actually they're, and they were both feeding off, uh, uh, the same tank uh. for a majority of the flight. So when I went back to, to both, the one engine was sucking from the lower, lower tank uh-huh. and that one went dry first yeah. and that's the one that died. Yeah. And I was like, Ooh, holy crap. So, you know, cross speed, got the engine started, looked at the tank, the fuel tank, and I was like, barely, you know, I was on fumes on that last tank. So I'm like, all right, I'm just going to climb up, set, you know, the best power for cruise and, and best glide power. And I'm just going to put it back to a Chandler landed. That was my oh shit moment, basically for me, because that, that thing shut down totally unexpectedly. And, you know, so obviously yeah. I learned a couple things was, you know, first of all, don't rush, don't rush your checklist. Uh, make sure you're, you know, you do, you know, it's redo and verify everything, you know, so, you know, cross feed to on, you know, and so, you know, make sure you cross feed on, look down, you point at it. I do this today. I point at the thing and I say on and I look as it say on. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's stupid uh to make those kind of mistakes but sometimes you have to do it uh to learn from it and uh yep. so that was my one time oh shit moment here we are in a multi-engine and all kind of like you all by myself you know 
it, it couldn't, you know, if it happened on takeoff or something like that, that would have sucked. Yeah. Know, so. Yeah. Yeah. And to this day, I, I, and for saying. similar instances, I always, I say it, I point at it, I manipulate it, and I verify. Yeah. And I, and I, verify. I can't yep. tell you how many times I'm in an Airbus A320, 180 plus people in the back. Captain says, gear up. I say, gear up. I point at the gear. Captains usually look at me like, what's he doing? Yeah. Then I move the gear handle. Yeah. Okay. And then I say, gear up. And he, I, I know. Why are you, you doing that? Wrong gear. Wrong. Because now, when you ask for flaps, well, I'm not going to reach over and grab something else. You know, because that goes with everything. You know, flaps one. I say, look at it. Re remember when we were flying the 145, and we used to take off with the with the APU feeding the packs. Oh yeah, bars we, open. Do we remember when we yeah. first started flying the airplane? Sure. APU feeding the packs, and then when you're in airborne, you reconfigure the packs, and then you reach up and hit the APU shutoff button and shut down the APU. Well, what's the the next button that's just above that? Isn't that the fire detection um, detection test button? Yeah, <laughs> right? so, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> All the bells and whistles. That's so, how you wake up the captain when they're asleep. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm getting at. So here we are. We're taking off out of Dallas. And it's a night flight, and we have the, end, the APU on with the APU bleed, feeding those packs, take off, you know, get the gear up, the flap, the right after takeoff checklist. So I reconfigure the packs yeah. and just reach up, and I just push the, the button up there and not, you know, paying attention to what I'm pushing. I hit the APU fire detection test button. <laughs> you know, so everything lights up red, bells and whistles go off. Oh, my God. The captain jumped out of his seat he had a virtual <laughs> heart attack for that moment and i would have too because that's totally unexpected right yeah and yeah oh my god and i was like oh sorry wrong button my bad <laughs> so i reach up cancel the warnings and all that and i reach up and i you know shut down the apu and i'm like well i'll never make that mistake again <laughs> yeah that's, you oh, know, man. lessons learned, you know, that's exactly what yeah. we're talking about. You know, yep. I, yeah. I had a student in the 737. They have, um, I'm sorry, not to interrupt but real oh, quick. Okay. It's the 737 is, is kind of, um, unique in, in the way that it's <laughs> poor man's ICAST system. Uh, all the lights are all over the place. So whenever you manipulate, let's say the cross feed valve, uh, you go from, you know, off the cross feed or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but it has a blue light in, in the, uh, in the, above the knob. So whenever you move the knob, it has two, um, two levels of illumination for that blue light. And yeah. whenever it goes bright blue, that means the knob is the, the, the valve is in transit. And then when it goes from bright blue to, to dark blue or, or not as bright, that means the valve is in its correct position. All right. So every time you touch something and you move it, you kind of have to sit there, you know, you know, select, watch and verify it goes where it's supposed to go, and then you can release it. Yeah. And and it's kind of the same same along the same lines of, you know, point, verify that you're going to do it, you know, make sure you get the result that you're looking for and then you can let it go. You have to do that all the time in the 737 because if not, you're going to Put a valve, put a switch or, or a valve in the improper 
or in the proper position, but it may not go where it's supposed to go. Right. And you won't know about it because you're not going to get a, a light or anything else other than the thing going, Hey, up here, you're supposed to, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. So yeah, you, every, so a lot of cases you'll get a caution light on the dashboard, but that's about. Yeah. In my days of, uh, giving IOE being a check airman for the regional airline I did for many years and absolutely enjoyed. It. I know Rob, you did that too for a long time. Um, I always would have occasionally one of those, I call them students, but they're employees that going through their initial training um, that I was like, man, slow down, slow down. Cause they were nervous and they were wanted to do well and they wanted to show that they could do it. Slow down, look, point at it, manipulate it, verify that it did what you want it to do. And on the, on the bus at, at legacy, we say, make sure that Fifi is doing what you told Fifi to do. And one of my instructors on an initial at Legacy uh, on the ground school portion of the uh, simulator was like, this is an Airbus. There's what you told your wife, what your wife heard, and what your wife did or responded. And they're going to be three different things. So verify, right? Um, and when I had a student that would be all, you know, just too quick on the draw, that's how mistakes would happen, you know? And I'd give them, I'd go, man, you're going to get the Jackie Chan award. And they'd stop what they're doing. Of course, now we're in flight. They're nervous. They're getting their training. Jackie Chan, what? And I say, the Jackie Chan award. You're moving way too fast, man. You're slow down. You got to look. You got to verify, okay? You're, there's no, we're not racing here. There's no points for getting there first. We just got to get there safe. So absolutely, that's the best advice uh, both you gentlemen are, are mentioning, is that just take your time and, and, and do things the right way the first time so you're not going back over and over again repeating the same mistake. So, you know, today we wanted to, at least I wanted to talk a little bit more about stories from the past and a whole other segment, which we're going to have to save for the next show. Uh, and so coming up, on a future show of Squawk Ident, we're going to be talking more about general aviation stories and things that we've learned and experiences we've had, because we know a lot of our listeners are in the GA community. And we're also going to talk about the ever so mysterious crash pad. Oh, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. That nasty, filthy place where we cram so many pilots and flight attendants alike into the tight little place. Oh, it's nasty. Now, mind you, not all crash pads are the same. Okay. And I actually, full disclosure, I actually helped run a crash pad in Chicago for many years. And I got to tell you, uh, I'm still very good friends with the individual that still runs it to this day. And between the work that he and I did, we've re- painted the whole place, decorated it uh, with a big aviation theme and American flag in the corner. I mean, one of the nicest crash pads I've ever been to. And I'm not just saying that because I helped run it for many years. Uh, it was actually as nice as my house. I enjoyed being there. The people there are great. There's a, a huge vetting process to get in there. And that's what we want to talk about. Uh, because if you're in training and you're going to ev- inevitably end up Anywhere, whether they're regional carrier or even corporate or even legacy carrier or major carrier, you're start at the bottom, you start on reserve, and you're probably not going to live in a very expensive base 
So you're going to need a crash pad, a place to go fly into the night before so that you're available for that 5 or 6 a.m. morning start. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in a future show. So if there's anything else that the listeners out there want to listen to or want to want to learn more about, you know, you've got a couple guys here that know exactly what they've been through and the experience that they've had, just make sure you write in. Send us a message either through social media or through the website or the email through the website uh, and reach out to us. Yeah, let us know what you guys want to hear. Yeah, we'll talk about it. As you can tell, we can go on and talk about anything. We can go off on tangents. So we'll take whatever ideas you have and we'll run with it. So bring them. <laughs> yeah, I will do it. There's even a 50% yeah. chance we actually might talk about the actual, the initial question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know. We'll, we'll tie it into aviation somehow. It's kind of like uh, watching My Big Fat Greek Wedding. You know, the word is a Greek word. <laughs> it is from the Greek. That's what he said. <laughs> gotta have Windex. Windex. Let's put some Windex on it. What? Yeah, that's for sure, you know? But gentlemen, you know, it's always a pleasure to, to sit down with you and talk to you about our passion of aviation. And hopefully our listeners are enjoying what they hear. So, gentlemen, is there any last thoughts that you might have before we wrap it up today i just i mean obviously today's world is different than it was a month ago um be safe everybody stay sane um we will get through this i think that's kind of in today's in today's society in today's life um my parting thoughts be safe be kind to each other i think you know tony i think you you end every every podcast with that and i think it's a a really important thing especially today thank you so much for for noticing that and saying so thank you rob yeah same thing be safe uh, remember we're all human um uh, respect everybody else's um uh lives and um you know reach out to to your friends and 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 say hi whether it's via text or, or phone call um uh, if you have any elderly uh, folks that uh, you've met before and, and uh, you haven't spoken to in a while, just say hi to them. Now's a good time to uh, see how everybody's doing. And it's tough, you know, with social distancing, we're we're social animals. So we need to, uh, you know, see and, and speak to people. And so that might be something that that person needs um, to, to uplift them up and, and um, get through some of this. So, yeah, really appreciate everybody listening. And uh, thanks for having me on the show, Tony. Oh, thank you. Thank you, gentlemen, both of you. Um, you know, and just in closing here, I just want to say thank you on behalf of myself, on behalf of Rob and Roger. Thank you to all those frontline workers. We say it at the beginning of the show and we're saying it again at the end of the show. You know, thank you to the doctors and nurses, the pharmacists, the EMTs, the medical techs, the firefighters, law enforcement, grocery store employees, truck drivers, Amazon workers, and of course, all of the airline employees out there that show up to work every day to provide the essential services that we do. I feel that we are finally over the hump. And listening to whatever news is out there, it looks like, at least in the United States, we're kind of getting over that hump. And we will be seeing some normality very, very soon. also want to spend a moment and thank another podcast. Uh, they've now multiple times have... Uh, 
read some of the feedback that I've given them and played some audio and given a really good shout out to the show here on Squawk Ident. And that's the APG podcast. You can find them uh, pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. And they have a website. I'll put that link in the show notes. That's the Airline Pilot Guy. These guys have been doing this for over a decade, uh, guys and gals. And they have many perspectives, uh, great crew that they get together once a week. And they talk about aviation news, aviation-related stories in the news, uh, incidents and accidents that have happened around the world. They also spend a lot of time on listener feedback, and they're just, they have some great charisma together, and it's a great show. I highly recommend that if you haven't already, make sure you check them out. And also, are you enjoying Squawk Ident? We hope so. And we'd like you to visit our website just to check out some of the little extras that we put in there as often as I possibly can. I update the show notes, the photos, the episode archive, the flight line photos. And there's a pilot shop there too, where you can get cool Squawk Ident gear. And you can also leave comments and audio feedback as well. You can also contribute to the show. And I know right now it's kind of tough for many people. So if it's a little tough, then don't worry about it. But if you can contribute a buck or two, it will really help us out with the recurring cost of the show, things like software and marketing materials and whatnot. Facebook, Instagram users, you can check out Squawk Ident Podcast by searching for Squawk Ident Podcast, and Twitter users can search Aviator Tony and Squawk Ident to follow on the socials. If you're listening to Apple Podcasts, this is the most important thing that we can say to you. In order to kind of boost our ratings in the Apple Podcast app, what we need are reviews, um, reviews about the show. Just be honest, what you like, what you don't like, um, and that would really help us out. So if you could, at the end of this program, take a look. On, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, on the bottom, you're going to see a place where you can leave a, remu- or leave a review. First thing is you have to subscribe, obviously, to Squawk Ident. Then click on the library button on the bottom of the screen, click on Shows, then click on Squawk Ident, And then if you scroll down, you'll see under the stars, there's a place where it says write a review. And all you got to do is click. It'll take you about a minute to just say what you will about the show. And that would really, really help us out. One final thank you to Roger and Rob D for being on the show, being great co-hosts. I couldn't, you know, do this without you guys. This is absolutely a lot of fun to produce every week. And, and it's wonderful to just be able to talk to you guys. So thank you very much. You bet. Thank you, Tony. Thank Love you, being Tony. here. Thank you. And thank you for taking the time to listen to this grateful aviator. Keep the dirty side down, be safe, and take care of each other. Hey.